Twitter brought to you by Southhills Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Peters Township. Visit them online at southhillsjeep.com. So much to get into. We dive back into the Steelers right now. Mike DeFabo from The Athletic. Mike, uh, first of all, happy Tuesday evening to you. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I just had some delicious salmon tacos. If I can recommend Half-Baked Harvest to anybody yeah. on Instagram, they got recipes and stuff. Mm-hmm. That stuff is bomb. You can't go wrong there. Now, answer me this: Did you what? Did you have soft shell or hard shell tacos? Soft shell with salmon, right? Well, see, I'm actually trying to watch what I eat a little bit, so I went with a um, taco bowl, like a burrito bowl well, I action. I don't mind that. Did you have black beans in there? It was kind of basic, to be honest, Colin. It was like just the rice, the salmon, but the salmon. I'm telling you, like. It was it was uh, seasoned like a five star chef. I really like salmon. I do. The only thing is salmon. Salmon's one of those things that you still know the next morning that you cooked it in your house. That's the only bad <laughs> part about salmon. Um, well, like 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 my dad always says on New Year or on Christmas Eve, you always know who the Italians are because they come in from the feast of the seven fishes, smelling like fish, and we of course are definitely part of that crew. Certainly. Hey, before we get into the Steelers, you know what I went down and was looking at on the internet the other day, and I couldn't take my eyes off it. I had some like downtime. I was sitting in my car waiting on one of my kids to come out from somewhere, and it popped up. This linebacker Alex Tatch from Latrobe, which is where you're from, he was smashing people on this highlight tape that he had. He got offered by USC. He got offered by Stanford. He got offered by everybody. Have you seen this kid from Latrobe? I've heard about him definitely being from Latrobe. And let me say, like, it's pretty cool that Latrobe had success this year because when I was, um, when I played football, um, and, you know, the same field that Joey Porter Jr. and all those guys are playing on, we won exactly zero games on that home field <laughs> over my two years. And uh, then everybody proceeded to quit and play baseball instead. So I did not have good memories of Latrobe football, so uh, I, it's good to see the Wildcats finally turning things around. Yeah, this kid's really good. All right, to the uh, Steelers. Fan text line brought to you by Edgar Snyder & Associates, personal injury law firm where they always say there's never a fee unless we get money for you. You sort of took in your re- most recent piece in The Athletic kind of a, a mini deep dive, I guess I could put it, as to exactly why the Steelers are winning. I guess that's kind of one of my takeaways. You tell me what the purpose of this piece was and deliver it to me in audio form, if you would. Well, when you look at the Steelers, it almost defies logic and defies reason that they're six and three. And you look at any number of traditional stats, like for example, the offense is 28th in offensive points scored. They're 28th in yards per game. Um, you know, uh, their time of possession, their 30th. And it's similar on the defensive side of the ball where the the Steelers' defense has given up the 28th most yards uh, this season. Um, You know, they're not particularly good at the run or the pass, and they're really bad when it comes to limiting the deep ball. They've allowed more passing plays of 16-plus yards than any other team. So the point was we keep hearing, like, how are the Steelers doing this? How are the Steelers doing this? And I'm one of the people that's also been wondering, so – I tried to find stats that point to here's the answer. Here's how they're winning these games. And so I found six of them um, that led to these six wins. And I think it starts first and foremost just with turnover margin. And it's kind of funny. Like anytime you get keys to the game, it's always establish the run, stop the run, win the turnover battle. Right. Or it's always try to limit the damage from Miles Garrett, slow down the, the rush attack, turnover battle. 
So we know that the turnover battle is a significant thing, and that's the best thing the Steelers do on both sides. The defense has been built to turn the football over with the elite pass rush of Alex Highsmith and T.J. Watt. They play tight man coverage on purpose because they expect the ball to come out quickly. They expect turnovers, and they're doing it. They, they are near the top of the league in, in all the takeaway uh, categories. They have 18. And then on the flip side, Kenny Pickett, he's done an outstanding job of protecting the football. He's thrown just four interceptions all season. And as a result, the Steelers have the best turnover margin in the league. So we can go through some of these other ones, but that was the idea is basically like we can't figure out how they keep winning. Let's try to try to dive into the numbers and figure out where they actually are excelling when they're so deficient in so many other categories. Let me find a sub point to that, to that point about the turnover battle and exactly what you said about how the Steelers play tactically. How much was it a revelation that Highsmith has gotten this good, that they're able to do things with the back end of the defense they wouldn't otherwise be able to do? Like, that is to say, he had to advance at this level to trust the secondary that much, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you need to. Um, the, Ra- the Raiders right now are dealing with it. Max Crosby is finding himself squarely in the defensive player of the year conversation, but the Raiders don't have a particularly great defense because – He's one of the few guys, you know, other than primetime Robert Spillane has been showing up, but other than that. So when you have two elite pass rushers and they're both getting to the quarterback at the rate they are, the back end doesn't have to hold up as much. And, and Mike Tomlin, he, the way he'll explain it, he loves to say that the pass rush and coverage have to work together. And that's really the case where if you're going to choose to play these tight man coverages, if the pass rush doesn't get home, that's when you're going to be susceptible to these big plays. And that's probably where part of it comes from is that, um, you know, they expect the ball to come out quickly. And when the opponent is effectively, you know, chipping or double teaming out uh, TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, you know, he's not getting home. That's what leaves you susceptible to the big play. So it all works together. And when it works, it, it's really something to behold. Fan hotline presented by Nemecolon around every corner. Nemecolon creates real life magic for guests. Mike DeFabo on that fan hotline you talk about working in complimentary fashion or working in unison well Jalen Warren and uh, Najee Harris certainly are doing that is this here to stay for the duration as uh, both of those guys career in Pittsburgh that it is this is as close to a 50-50 split as we've ever seen Mike Tomlin seems to be warm to it now Mike where he never was before yeah I mean that's another one of the points that I touched upon in this piece is that the Steelers have dramatically improved running the football over the last two weeks. So through the first seven games, they were 28th in yards per game, and they were 29th in yards per carry. Over the last two weeks, the Steelers are third in yards per game and yards per carry. So you can't even say, well, well, they just ran the ball more, they had more plays. No, the yards per carry uh, have significantly improved. It's gone from 3.4 to 5.6. I think that more Jalen Warren is definitely a big piece of that. Um, I think that he's a great downhill runner um, and he has a burst that Najee just does not have. I think going forward for the Steelers, the answer is an and here. I think what would make a lot of sense is you start out in the shotgun, which the Steelers have done. You spread the opponent out, which the Steelers have done. And in doing so, they've been able to hit these light boxes or lighter personnel groupings like nickel and dime with runs effectively. Then once you've built the lead, then Najee comes in as the closer. And so I think that, um, you know, I, th- I think that that's the approach. I think that there, there have been too many times when the Steelers lean on one running back 
and it's to their detriment where they end up wearing the guy out and he's not available late in the season. Um, this year, they finally have two good backs, and I think that the last two games, it's not a coincidence that when they've you know, featured both of them and balanced the workload, those have been their two best rushing games of the season. Answer me this. Is it coincidence, or is there a practical application and a result to the first drive in Tennessee, the first drive in Green Bay, really the first quarter against Green Bay, can we draw a correlation of Matt Canada being on the field at all, or is it just coincidence? You know, I tend to believe that Matt Canada on the field is more valuable in situations between series. So, you know, talking with the receivers who he doesn't normally get an opportunity to talk to when he's in the booth, talking to, you know, the um, Pat Meyer, the offensive line coach, that's not someone he would have a direct line of communication to normally. So, I feel like that's where it's showing up more. Um, in terms of like starting fast and having touchdown drives the first two after we're so used to getting a three and out the first series, I think, I think some of that goes back to running the football more effectively. And Often in that first drive, that's when teams are kind of feeling out, okay, when we go to this particular personnel grouping, what does the defense doing? What are they countering with? And I think the Steelers have been able to catch the opponent by surprise by – putting three wide receivers on the field, then all of a sudden they come out with nickel and the Steelers are able to run the ball against that. So, I mean, I think the big question is going to be against the Cleveland Browns. They've now seen the tape. They've seen the tendencies. What are they going to do when the Steelers probably predictably come out with three wide receivers and shotgun and try to run the ball in the opening series uh, this coming week against the Browns? Now, in, in retrospect and in hindsight, in people in Pittsburgh, me included, we hate admitting when we're wrong, right? But do we all have to maybe admit we were wrong in that Mike Tomlin and the offensive staff handled Broderick Jones probably correctly? Yeah, I, I mean, like he's playing very well right now, and I think that he's added a significant boost to the offensive line, and particularly the run game. I don't think it's a coincidence that the run game has opened up just as he's played. But that said, um, I, I think that he did have his rough moments early in the season. I think that he did need to continue to improve uh, in order to, to have success that he's having. And like, let's not forget that coming out, you know, he was a, he was a first round draft pick because he ran the fastest 40 at the combine. And because he has the frame and the long-term potential to be a very solid starter, or even maybe a pro bowler was a projection. But there was going to need to be some development that was going to take place. He wasn't going to walk in the door as a pro bowler. And even, you know, I'll say I think that he needs to also improve his body. Um, you know, looking at him, he's solidly built. But I definitely think that he'll come back next year with a little bit of a, you know, more muscle, a little bit leaner, a little bit of a different body type. So, you know, I, I think that what the Steelers did with Broderick Jones it was actually pretty much the right approach where – you know, they did not want to throw it's, – it's hard to, as Mike Tomlin says, <laughs> it's hard to put the jello back in the box. Yes. And, and what I mean by that is it's hard to anoint this guy a starter and then say, oh, shoot, our first-round draft pick is kind of struggling. Now we're going to bench him. It's much easier to make him earn his opportunity and, and then have people feel like you waited too long to give it to him. Mike DeFabo joining here from The Athletic. So much more to get into, Mike. Uh, Patrick Peterson, we saw him – Block an extra point, then we saw him come up with an interception. He's had a rocky road and kind of a, a 
a rocky existence, I guess, here in Pittsburgh. But do those two plays sort of validate why he's around? Yeah, for me, it was nice to see because I think when people, when the Steelers signed Patrick Peterson, everybody knew the name. And they're thinking of Pro Bowl Patrick Peterson, who in his prime not only was one of the best, if not the best shutdown corner in the league for a number of years, he was also returning punts. I mean, this guy was just a freak athlete at his prime, but what we're seeing is a 33-year-old version of him is, is very different than the Pro Bowl version. And it's been tough to see people kind of drag this guy, and, and I get it. Like, part of, it's our jobs to criticize players when they don't play well. Fans certainly entitled to their opinions and, and um, you know, allowed to be upset. But, but it would be like if Heinz Ward went to a different place and people were just destroying him. I don't think Steelers fans would really appreciate that. So I was happy to see a guy that, by all accounts, is a good veteran in the locker room, a very good leader and mentor to Joey Porter Jr. and some of these other young defensive backs. Um, he's a guy that's really into film study and I'm sure has passed along that wisdom to other guys with, within that room. So for him to then make critical plays that won them the game – I think it was really great to see. Like, he blocked the kick. There's three points. He contributed to a turnover in the red zone. That's at least three more, if not seven. So, you know, Patrick Peterson alone saved the Steelers somewhere between three and ten points in that game. Well, yeah, like, without the homecoming quotient to the story, there's a lot of Andrew McCutcheon in this. He's going to hit 250. He's not going to hit 300. He's going to hit a dozen or 15 home runs. He's not going to hit 31 like he did the one year. You have to know what you're getting at this point of his career. And I think there's a lot of that in Patrick Peterson. Well, and, and also the Steelers the Steelers coaching staff um, needs to recognize what he is, you know, and that he's not, again, a, a shutdown outside corner anymore. And one of the things that Pat said when he came here is he was really intrigued at the possibility to be a football player. And what he meant by that was not just outside, but playing some nickel, which we initially saw. And now these numerous injuries to the safeties have, have afforded him the opportunity to play some safety for the first time ever in his career. And I think that he wants to play a couple more seasons. I don't think he's done after this. I don't know if it's going to be in Pittsburgh, but I think that that might be the inevitable next step here is that he eventually becomes you know, the, the traditional middle field safety that sits back there and plays center field. So, like, in a way, the numerous injuries to Minka, and now there's question marks about Keanu Neal and his availability, those have provided the perfect opportunity for Patrick Peterson to start playing a little safety. And if he can play it well, you know, he could definitely extend his career and, and snag a couple more interceptions and secure his case for, for Canton. Last thing before I let you go, I sent you a text not long ago. Did you see that Odyssey Pittsburgh, all the stations, not just the fan, but KDKA, the fan, Star 100.7, and our country station, all of them, every, we are putting together the Christmas karaoke again. Will you be in attendance? I can confirm I will definitely oh, be there. there. I went last year, and I sang Felice Navi Dud. Uh, the, the place was bumping. I remembered all the words, and I picked the song specifically because it only has a couple words. And uh, it was electric. Um, and I can't wait for another same thing, I'm sure. I mean, he had everything you could possibly ask for. Mary Hours. The, She's the confirmed. I text, I t touch base. She's confirmed. Neil Walker confirmed. A bunch of other TV people confirmed. It's 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 going to work. My favorite part of the event was uh, my man Bob Pompiani. Um, when Selena got on stage, he was like proud stage dad, busting out his cell phone, recording 
Um, phenomenal form with that, by the way. And it was just a very wholesome moment. They're a great family, and like to see him fired up about his daughter singing karaoke was pretty fun to see. It's funny that you say that. We were one time in the Pirates press box, and Selena was doing something that was like a hit that sh- – or no, it, we were – yeah, we were at the Pirates press box, and she was doing something that appeared on the Jumbotron that was like a hit for the news the next day. He got on his phone and took a picture of the Jumbotron. Just like regular <laughs> dad. I, I love Pump. I just – he's just – such a regular man that happens to be a famous news guy. Yeah, he's he's a legend of the game. He's been doing it since I was playing little league baseball in Latrobe. So yeah, I got to tip my cap to him. But the the definitely that Christmas karaoke is going to be electric. I can't wait. I, it is going to be electric. All right, let's hope that uh, your weekend is electric. The tour de Ohio in the next couple weeks, and uh, we will talk soon. Mike, as always, I thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. Certainly. Really, really good stuff from Mike. Go check it out uh, when you get an opportunity. It is spectacular in The Athletic. And Mike did point out, and he did a thorough study. People say, man, how are the Steelers winning? Well, okay, I'll answer it. Here you go. And Mike went and tackled that today, and it's a really great piece in The Athletic, so be sure to check that out. Does George Pickens need to get more involved? We need to discuss. 412-928-9370 coming up next. Listen to Cooking Joe every Wednesday. Hear about Starkey's Card of the Week. Baseball Card Castle and Cranberry. Contests run every Wednesday through Friday at noon. So check out all the details on our website, 937thefan.com. All right, Penguins 2-2 right at about uh, halfway through the game, middle of the second period there. 412-928-9370. I'm also watching Bowling Green in Toledo. Guy I went to high school with. His son, he's from Seneca Valley, the, the son is, plays for Toledo. He's just a, he's a true freshman now, but he is uh, like covering kickoffs and doing some things, getting in the game, so good on him. But Toledo getting smacked around a little bit here by Bowling Green, and Toledo's good. They're 9-1, and one, so they need to figure out a way to rock it back, if you will. Uh, anyway, 412-928-9370 is that number. Let's talk George Pickens for a moment. I want to talk to you. And, and big thanks to Mike DeFabo for joining. He's the best of the best. He really is. So, do the Steelers need to do more for George Pickens? It, let, let's talk about that. Because I saw the route tree, or at least the um, the target tree for him from just this last game against Green Bay. And when they threw him the football... He did nothing, nothing in the middle of the field. He was targeted, I think, five times. He had four catches. They were all on the sideline, right? But let's look at totality, his body of work this year. He has 62 targets. The next highest guy on the team, they're tied. Deontay Johnson and Jalen Warren at 39. Calvin Austin has 26. Allen Robinson is there at 30, so he's just below uh, Austin. So they're all right there. But George Pickens far and above has the most targets. Part of that, Deontay Johnson was hurt, right? Then you look at the catches, though. He is just nine ahead of Deontay Johnson. So they throw it his way a lot. It's bad throws. Or maybe he doesn't go get it. All of that. George Pickens has three touchdowns. Deontay Johnson has one. George Pickens, when he reels in a pass, goes for an average of 17.2 yards per catch. So let's talk at 412-928-9370. Do they need to do more for George Pickens? I go round and round and seemingly every single day. It's a battle when I start to think about, all right, what are the Steelers' topics? Now, 
One will say it's a gigantic problem. It's a it's a huge problem. This is the one half of it. It's a huge problem. They got to get George Pickens involved. And I kind of lean towards that. I really do. But then I say, all right, this offense has been bad. It's not been really good. The offense, in, in none of their wins have they scored more than 26 points. None of their wins, and especially in the losses they haven't. But in none of their wins, in, in no game they've scored more than 26 points. So I say, well, they've got to find a way to score more points, but they are 6-3. and three. There's a big, delicate balance here between, well, making the offense better and doing things and coming out of a comfort zone in which has now gotten them four wins in five games and two in a row. So I wonder now, with George Pickens being out there and George Pickens probably not being the happiest of birds, right? Like, I think that he thought he would be a volume receiver this year. And while he has more volume than people on the team, he's not a volume receiver. But they are inching as November keeps pushing forward and it'll eventually get into December. And these two division games in the state of Ohio are very important in front of them. They are inching to an air of, in a place where I think they'll probably run the ball even more, right? They'll find or try to find an effective way to run the ball. So I don't know if you can make a concerted effort to get George Pickens the ball more. In effect, the best thing to do is probably try to work him in the flow of the game, right? Try to have him in the run of the game. But he's shown to not really have a penchant to not – I don't know how much of a great football IQ George Pickens has because I just saw a tape from the game, and the All-22 has made us all experts, right, where it looked like Kenny Pickett had a touchdown pass if George Pickens would have kept on running. But he's kind of slowed down in the middle of the field in his route. So I don't know how hard he works or diligently he works like Antonio Brown worked to say, well, I'm not getting a rock here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn this into working my ass off and making sure I get open. I don't necessarily know if George Pickens has that gene right now. I don't know if he'll ever have that gene. What is the answer for him? Because I'd like to say it's very simple. And it's very simple would be, all right, especially early in the game. Like, here's what I would do to try to satiate him, to try to make him happy. I would come out and pump it to him once, right? Get it to him, get him an early touch, go from there. And even if it is not your intended course for the game, you give the impression, yeah, George, you're my man, let's go, okay, come on, yeah. And keep him focused and keep him tied into that game. That's exactly what I would do. But then again, when you look at what's happened with the Steelers the past two games, they have gone right down the field, largely in the running game. They have gone right down the field and put the football in the end zone. They don't necessarily need to uproot what their script is right now. Because if there's one part of the game that's working, it's right after kickoff. It's right when they get the football. The Pittsburgh Steelers are doing that. And one of the times, they won the toss it, took the ball, and said, let's go. So, you can't cut your nose off despite your face. This has become a really precarious situation. Because it'd be easy. It'd be the easiest thing in the world if the Steelers weren't winning right now. Right? If the Steelers were 3-6 and six and, and not 6-3. and three, You'd say, well, yeah, one of the big problems is this. George Pickens isn't getting the ball enough. you got to throw it to him. you got to get it to him. And maybe that'll turn things around. They don't necessarily – does the offense need to have more punch? Sure. But this team in totality 
No one will tell you on that staff it needs to be turned around. You know why? Because they're winning. I fear an atmosphere that George Pickens becomes a malcontent soon. And here's the thing. It probably won't be anybody's fault. It'll just be a lack of understanding. Well, it'll be his fault, kind of, even though I'm a big George Pickens fan. I think that he thought he was getting drafted in the NFL and it was going to be glitz. It was going to be glamour. It was going to be, we're going to throw it all over the yard. We're going to try to score a bunch of points. While he uh, fell draft stock-wise and slipped to the Pittsburgh Steelers, he fell to the one team that's not on purpose not trying to use his skills, but what they're doing is it's just not in their DNA to use a guy like that or to focus on him. He falls into a football team in the Pittsburgh Steelers where he is just a part. He is not the part. And I wonder if that relationship will ever suffice George Pickens. Something is telling me no, that I don't know if there'll be a flash moment. I don't know if it'll be bad. I don't know if he'll take his pads off and throw them at somebody on the sideline. But it's not the fault of the Pittsburgh Steelers right now that they're doing things and they come out the other side and they win. It's not the fault of George Pickens that he is an electric receiver and he's not getting the football a lot and he's getting a little frustrated. Again, I think he just fell into a perfect storm. Now that they're winning, right? If they're losing, it's simple. I think he just fell into a perfect storm of a place where, you know, we do it a little different here and we understand your electricity, but we kind of don't need it right now. Kevin's in Hawaii. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Hey, what's going on, Kyle? Not much. Hey, I'm ready to talk to you about all these. So, which one you want first? Legal? Honey, well, we're talking. We're talking about George killers. Pickens now. Let's talk about George Pickens. Let's stay on task. Uh, come on. So, um, on Pickens, I don't agree with you that he kind of fell into the perfect situation. But the truth is, if Pickens was on probably 10, 15 other teams, we he'd already be looking at all pro numbers this year, and he would have last year. He's he liked Kenny, and I know you don't think. Kenny's a top 12, 15 quarterback if he reaches his full potential like I do. But he's being retarded by the coaching staff that he's surrounded with and the system he's in. Is his attitude wrong at times? Absolutely. Is he a young kid that's immature? Yeah. And he's not on a team that historically has done a great job with a bunch of immature guys. I know everybody wants to call Mike Tomlin, you know, a whiz when it comes to discipline and, and getting the most out of players and you don't see the problems until you get to the other teams. But I can run down a list of players that have left the team as malcontent and went on to play at other better at another team and won a Super Bowl within a year or two of leaving the Steelers. Yeah, fair point. But I can, you can also look at guys – that want the football, want the football, want the football, and you can look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. And again, I don't know if I agree with this or not, but they're going to say, we win or have been winning, so nothing's wrong. That's just the way they think. No, I got it. And I uh, 150% agree with your point on that's the way they and Mike Tomlin think. Here's all I'll say about that is is this. I got it. You're 6-3. and The truth is you should probably be – two and seven or three and six, because you literally got three or four games handed to you by the other team, dropping passes when nobody was around them, et cetera, or the officials helping you with what was a clear lateral that should have been defense touchdown. I can go on and on that too. They're 28th in defense in the league. They're 28th in offense in the league. 
And so if a couple teams, and oh, by the way, they played six of those games at home. Mm-hmm. They are going to be a nine and eight or a 10 and seven team at the end of the year. Just like I said before the beginning of the year, when I said they had top five talent, but Tomlin would find a way to stumble into a nine and eight and at best 10 and seven season there. And the reason going back to your original question an hour and a half ago, the reason so many of us aren't into the current moment and enjoying the fact that somehow we're winning these games and we're six and three and currently in fourth or fifth place in the playoff race. It's because we've lived the last 12 years. We, we know what's at the end of the track. It's either we're going to miss the playoffs by a game or two because we're going to lose a couple games down the stretch. We shouldn't have, or we're going to get in the playoffs in the first round and look like we shouldn't even be in the NFL in the first place because we're so poorly prepared for that game and or we make these idiotic mental mistakes along the way or two-minute drill. Oh, no, that's all. And your point is, like, well taken, Kevin, and I appreciate it. You're, You're absolutely right in the past. But I don't have to believe the past is a slam dunk to repeating until I see it. And if it does, it doesn't mean I won't get mad. That doesn't mean I won't criticize, but right now as it's the 14th day of November, like they're six and three. Mike's in Johnstown. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So, uh, looking at George Pickens and um, the whole setup they have with the receivers, uh, a lot of his routes seem to be the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Now, his strengths, we all seen his strengths through a thrust thrown over the middle. And I just feel like they don't Utilize, a lot, utilize that much. We also talked about today multiple times um, about how the running game had taken off. The past two games, we played teams that are completely horrible on defense, horrible stopping the run. They might be all right on stopping the pass, but the run game, it was just, you can see it, was running all over them. Now, when we play a harder team, it doesn't seem to be going that way. Even Cleveland, we didn't run that well against them. I just feel like our pass patterns are completely horrible, and uh, we need to adjust those a lot more. I agree to that. Some of it's incumbent upon the quarterback finding them. Some of it's incumbent upon the game plan. And some of it's incumbent upon the receivers running, in this case, George Pickens, better routes. I mean, that that is that's all fact. I think that what I've come around to is, and I've thought this all along, but come around to it as far as more strong, stronger right now, strongest probably at the, any point in the season, is it really is a group effort as to why the offense isn't working, right? But again, I tell you, it's not how I think. It's how the Pittsburgh Steelers think. And they think just like this. We're winning, so things don't have to change all that much. Coming up next, Philip Pony made me furious today. Absolutely furious, and I think he's a dangerous man. And I'm going to tell you exactly why. That's coming up in just a little bit. Your calls on George Pickens. We'll dive back into legalese. Not legalese, but the legal system in sports. We'll get into that at the top of the hour after that Adam Johnson situation. And they are charging uh, Matt Petgrave. Uh, at least that's who they, they say they're charging somebody. They didn't name him, but that's who it's going to be. You know that with that terrible hockey situation that happened in England. We'll get into that at the top of the hour. Your call's next here on The Fan. All right, 8.42 on your uh, Tuesday evening, which makes it 18 minutes until the top of the hour. 412-928-9370. That's 412-928-9370. So here we go here. Pony. I love Pony. I really do. Andrew Filipponi, right? Great man, good father, good husband, all that. Really good sports talk radio host. He makes you think. 
Pony had me going crazy today. And I need your feedback on this at 412-928-9370. Where do you put this one thing? Right? And I'm going to tell you what that one thing is. So Pony, he has his video that, you know, where he goes through the wet go, the get-go car wash at wet go. So he drives his car through there. And he likes to deliver you a nice soliloquy about something happening in the world. Generally, the sports world. He sits in the driver's seat. He puts the car in neutral. It's one of those those wet goes are the ones where it catches your tire when you're in neutral. And it kind of guides you through there nice and slow. So you got a couple minutes as you're going. And the foam all soaps all up on your windshield and everything like that. So Pony decided today that he wanted to tell you about how the Steelers are 6-3, and three, but something doesn't feel right in the offense and this and that. It's like a two-minute video, and he does these, and they're spectacular. I watch every one of them. They really are. It's a, it's a spectacular idea, and he's just filming his car getting washed through the windshield. But I noticed this at 412-928-9370, and we need to have a big talk about it, and that's this. The transponder for Pony's Easy Pass. You know, the thing that you get, they tell you to, to put where I, so that the sensor can pick it up. It is right in his field of vision. He has it probably, I'm not kidding, a quarter of the way down from the top of the windshield, straight in front of his eyes. Like right in front of his eyes. Just a little bit cocked over to the right maybe. But a quarter of the way down on the windshield. I watched this thing, and it bugged me so much because I said there is no human other than Andrew Filipponi who would stick the transponder for the easy pass right there. You know, I have mine. mine I don't even have on the windshield. What I do, I keep it like in the what used to be the ashtray. There's no ashtrays in cars anymore, but that part, the part that you can put stuff in right there below, like by the gear shifter and stuff. I have it in there, and then when I know I'm going to go on the turnpike, I take it out and hold it against the windshield when I'm driving through either the gate or if it's one of those sensors that you don't slow down and you drive 60 miles an hour and it just picks it up, I see that the gate is the thing is coming, the sensor. I hold it up against my um, windshield, and it picks it up. I see the flash of it, and then bang, I'm good. So mine, I don't even have the sticky. But if I were to have the sticky, I'll tell you one place for sure. One place for sure I wouldn't have it, okay? I certainly would not have it a quarter of the way down on my windshield because I do wonder at 412-928-9370, I'd love for a member of the law enforcement community to chime in. Does this give you, like, probable cause for a stop? Not probable cause to search a car or anything like that. It might, I don't know. But does this, you have something impeding your vision in on your windshield. And I'm trying to help Pony out maybe even here. It's a bad place. You got to move that thing. If you insist on using the stickies, the suction cups for the easy pass, if you insist on doing that, what you must do, right, is take the suction cups and affix them just behind the mirror that like your back mirror so you can kind of tuck it up in there hide it underneath 
and bang, it works. Or another place where the inspection stickers are, way down in the left-hand corner, left bottom corner of your windshield. You can kind of place it down in there, and I'm sure that it would get picked up if you did that. The place where you can't have it is one quarter of the way down and right in your field of vision. Now, look, I think these things are a pain, those transponders. I really do. There have been times where I've held mine up or times I know I had it out, and then I get a thing from PennDOT, or I don't know if it's PennDOT, actually. I think EasyPass is like a separate entity. I get an e- a, a, a mail, something in the mail, that was like, we charged you X amount of dollars because you went through the thing. And you don't get charged the maximum, like if you drove all the way from like Lackawanna Valley or whatever, but you do get charged like a decent little amount. And I'm thinking, no, mine was there. This thing's a real pain in the backside. I think all cars manufactured in America should come with transponders on them like that, like internal, and you just activate them from here on out. That would be what I would do. Have them have them built into the car. And what you do is you make a micropayment essentially to your car to pick up the transponder. Mike's in Pittsburgh. Hi, Mike. Hey, Colin. How are you this evening? Great. Great. Let's say that transponder. You don't even need the transponder. I have my wife has one in her car. I have three other cars. All I do is put my license plate number in the in the Easy Pass thing and go, and no, and never get a bill for it. Wait, let's let's back up a minute. All they do is what? But here, you, like where I go through on the turnpike, though, Mike, I'm driving 70 miles an hour, and it says don't slow down. How am I going to type in a license plate? Well, no, you go online and do it. Type in your license plate for all the vehicles that you have that you want to use for Easy Pass. And then when you go through, it takes a picture of your license plate and goes, eh, that one's good, go. And they don't send you any bill for it. I have four cars with one transponder. Wow. So do you still have that white thing, though, in any of the cars? It is. It's in the glove compartment somewhere. And it, you think it picks it up or it just takes Oh, a- yeah. I've never gotten a bill from them for anything. I just Every once in a while, I see that it put more money back in, took money out of my uh, checking account and put it back into – for my minimum balance that I keep on it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but like where Ponyhead is, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter or not, if you're on Twitter or not, but you owe it to yourself to go check it out. It made me cringe because I, I think it could cause an accident. Yeah, it, I use it when I had it before, I had it up behind the mirror on the, the uh, mirror there in the front windshield. It was out of, you know, I couldn't see it, but the thing could pick it up, the responder could pick it up. But yeah, I don't even, like I said, I have four cars and only one transponder. It's in the glove box somewhere. Well, listen here, Mike. You know one thing? I hearken back a lot of times to the good old days and when things were better and we had human interaction and stuff like that. I, I will say this. The way we do it now is better, and here's why. The people who used to work in the toll booths when you'd give them money were some of the most miserable people on earth. Yes, they were. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Like, I am I am all for human interaction. I am all for, uh, you know, ways it used to be and why fix it if it's not really broken. And that system, it, it, it wasn't all that broken, right? It just it wasn't. This is much more efficient, especially the ones now where you don't even have to get off, where you just drive and stay on the highway. But I will say, I am all for this because I bet the success rate of what, back when they used to man the toll booths, okay? Like at Harmerville, Monroeville, especially. 
um, you know, Butler Valley, kind of by right where, where I live, the Beaver Valley, wherever. When they used to man them and have people in those things, and you'd pull up and you'd give them that yellow ticket. It was a little ticket, a little yellow ticket, smaller than a dollar bill. And you'd give it to them, then they'd run it through, and they'd say like a dollar twenty-five or you know seventy-five cents. I think it was like fifty cents between um, uh, between Harmerville and Butler Valley. They would interact with you and be some of the most miserable freaking people in the history of the world. And I kept thinking, why are you so miserable? You know what you signed up for. You signed up for this job, which is reaching out of that thing. Nine million times a day, getting that ticket, putting it in your little thing, and then telling the person how much money they have to give you. How is this a bad interaction? How? How at all is this bad? The success rate was about 3% of finding somebody not happy, but somebody who just wasn't miserable. It was about 1.5% of finding someone happy and about 1.5% of finding somebody that was like, hmm which I take as not being miserable. The other 97% of the time that you pulled up to a toll booth that was manned by a human, you dealt with somebody who acted insanely miserable. And it's one of life's great mysteries for me. I don't know why it was like that. It was like that every from the time I started driving as a teenager. And you'd go to those places and you'd pull up. It was like it was like they were sentenced by a magistrate to go work there. When you know, first of all, they were making X amount of dollars an hour. Second of all, their uncle or their cousin or their dad got them that job, right? And fudged the hiring process because it was a total like a state job. So that happened. And then it really ain't all that bad considering the money you're making. It's not true manual labor. Somebody's handing you a ticket and you're telling them $1.50. Then they give you two bucks, you give them 50 cents. Life was kind of easy for them. The way they acted so damn miserable, I'll never understand it. So I don't want to say I don't mind that they're gone because I don't want to see anybody lose their job, especially to automation or anything like that. But Mike, I can't be the only one that made that observation. The toll booth worker. It was like right before you went on shift, somebody reached into your ear with a big long stick and plugged into your brain and pushed it around a little bit and was like, okay, now the miserable comes out. I'm going to poke the miserable button in your brain. And then you did that for eight hours. My gosh. Anyway. So it is easier this way with Easy Pass, but I didn't know you could do that. I might go online, try to type in my um, license plate, and go from there, and not even fool around with the transponder. Four one two nine two eight nine three seven zero is that number. That's four one two nine two eight nine three seven zero. Top of the hour. Okay, charges in England are coming down. Matt Petgrave, the man who was in the center of. The Adam Johnson death, who his skate hit Adam Johnson in the neck. Adam Johnson died. Charges now coming down. Is this the right thing to do? Do we want law in our sports? Do we want the um, do we want the courtroom in our sports like this? Let's have a chat about a top of the hour fan weather right now. Brought to you by Sun Chevrolet. Football season's also truck season at SunChevy.com. Mainly clear, low of 32. So pretty cold overnight. Partly sunny. <clears throat> Absolutely stellar tomorrow. High of 66. 
You know what? The weather continues Thursday with uh, great weather. Plenty of sunshine in a high of 68.